for me to make it very simple, I'm just going to go straight to the dictionary. And the Oxford Dictionary defines a deferral as a postponement of an action or an event. Welcome to this special explainer edition of Adventures in Ed Funding, the series presented by CASBO, the California Association of School Business Officials. My name is Paul Richmond, and I'm extremely grateful to be joined once again by our friend and explainer extraordinaire, Matt Phillips. Matt's the Director of Management Consulting for School Services of California a firm that provides guidance and analysis to school districts throughout the state. Prior to joining school services, Matt worked in school districts as a director of fiscal services and as an auditor. In this episode, Matt will help shed light on one of the most important, though least understood elements that will be included in this year's state budget for education, the deferral. Stick with us and you'll learn everything you need to know about deferrals and didn't want to postpone asking. Thanks, Matt, for for joining us again on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm happy to be back. As I think many people know, the state budget deal that will be finalized soon is going to include something that has come to be known in budget speak as deferrals. The total amount of these deferrals is likely to be in the billions of dollars. So, Matt, we want to talk about what exactly deferrals are and how they impact both the state budget and local school district budgets. First, as it relates to the state, help us better understand what it means when the budget agreement includes a deferral of payments to schools. Absolutely. So within the the context of the definition of a deferral, recognizing that it's a postponement, uh, the state uses the word deferral with respect to cash as a a postponement of the payment of the cash to school districts. The state uses it for a a couple of different reasons. Uh, One could be solving a budget problem, and two, it could be solving a a cash problem at the state level. And what we're looking at here is a, a little bit of both. How does postponing payments to schools help with balancing the state's budget? So some may call it uh, some some funny accounting. Um, Without getting into the weeds, there there are some uh, accounting components there that folks could look at and and scratch their head. But the practical application of a, a cash deferral from the state's perspective is the state is promising to pay school districts X amount of dollars. And rather than paying that full amount in a current year, if the state defers some of that cash to a subsequent year, it only takes credit for the cash that was paid to the school district in the current year. So let's assume for a a common school district, uh, that school district is slated to receive $1,000 from the state of California. We'll use small numbers uh, for the purposes of this illustration. And so the state adopts its budget And for this particular school district, uh, the state would otherwise pay the school district $1,000 in the current year. So the state would, on their side, recognize $1,000 of of expenses. Well, if the state only pays $800 to the school district, thereby deferring or postponing $200 to a subsequent fiscal year, the state has effectively reduced its expenses in the current year 
by $200. So on the state's financials, they're only showing $800 of expenses in the current year and 200 is deferred to the next year. That's important when you think about the, the state's requirement to pass a budget, um, the, the legislature providing that budget to the governor by June 15, and then the governor acting on it within 12 days so that there is a balanced budget in place by June 30th. This is a mechanism that is currently being contemplated in both the governor's proposal and in the legislature's proposal to varying degrees. And it's also something that we've seen before. Uh, it was a, a pretty significant mechanism that was used by the, the legislature and the governor in the previous recession. And uh, when we saw it before, um, did the education community, <laughs> did we like it before <laughs> or we tolerated it? You know, it, it's, that's a great question. Um, tolerate is a, a, a good word to use for that. It's almost a lesser of two evils. Because when you think about a deferral, uh, the alternative to a deferral is just a straight cut. So if we go back to the example that we used uh, where the state owes a school district $1,000, you know, the state can go one of two ways. The state can say, uh, we're going to defer part of that $1,000 to the next year, which means that the district will ultimately receive the money. It just won't be in the current year. Uh, the state can get to the same position by saying, well, we'll just cut what we're going to give you. And rather than promise to give you $1,000, we'll just promise to give you $800. And it's a, a six of one, half dozen of another from the state's perspective, but a very different practical application and impact to a local school district when you tell mm -hmm. them that rather than, uh, you know, the, the promise of $1,000 split over two years, now you're just going to get $800. Uh, that's a pretty significant hit. Right. And we're going to um, dive into a little bit more in just a second about the the impact on the school district side. But I also wanted to ask at the state level, so what happens in future years if um, the economy is still struggling and it's hard to balance the budget? Do these deferrals keep piling up? Yeah, so the, the deferrals can expand and contract as needed. What we're looking at right now in the governor's proposal in his 2021 budget is proposing to defer payments that school districts would have otherwise received in the months of April, May, and June of 2021 into the subsequent fiscal year, into 21-22. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, that the economy takes a, a nosedive from where we're at over the next few months, the fiscal outlook for 2021 gets worse, the state could expand those cash deferrals further into the year. So if they're only right now looking at April, May, and June, they could push those deferrals back to the March payment, the February payment, the January payment, and so on um, to grow the deferral to the necessary level to balance the state's budget. Now, conversely, if the economy gets better, and the state recognizes that the economy is getting better, they could shrink the deferrals. So rather than deferring April, May, and June, they could defer only May and June. They could defer only June uh, or even a part of June. So it, it goes both directions, uh, but it's certainly a, a mechanism, as I mentioned before, that has been used by the state. And at least the, the last time that we used it, I know um, under Governor Brown, we, we eventually did repay a a substantial billions and billions of dollars that have been deferred um, were repaid over time. Is that right? 
That's correct. Yeah, Governor Brown called it his wall of debt. And that was one of his commitments when he took office um, back in the uh, 2012 for his second term. Uh, he was facing this, this very large uh, multi-billion dollar wall of debt, which included these cash deferrals that had been piling up through the uh, really four years of the Great Recession. And so when Governor Brown took office, school districts uh, were facing both cuts and deferrals. So school districts were receiving only 78 cents of every dollar that was otherwise promised to them. And of that 78 cents of every dollar, 40% of that was being deferred into the out year. So it was a, a double whammy where both of those um, mechanisms were being used by the legislature to get through the Great Recession. Mm. Over the first few years of Governor Brown's tenure in, in, in office, he bought down that wall of debt. Right. So the, the 40 percent that was being deferred from school districts, I believe it went all the way back to the February payment. So if you look at uh, money that districts would have otherwise received in February, March, April, May and June, so five calendar months was being pushed out into the subsequent year so that the state could balance its budget. And so the way that the state buys those back or buys that down is they say, uh, you know, they, they'll gradually step into it. So maybe in the first year of the recovery, there's a, a five months of cash deferrals. And the next year, there's four months of cash deferrals. And the next year, there's three months of cash deferrals until you get to the point where all the cash deferrals have been bought down, which means that school districts, going back to our original example, receive all $1,000 that they were promised in the current year that it's promised. So it's complicated. <laughs> that is a fair statement. <laughs> and and uh, j- just terminology-wise, it it is in a sense a debt, right? Um, like Governor Brown called these part of his wall of, of debt because it's the state owes school districts this money? Absolutely. Um, by virtue uh, of the fact that the state has not cut the funding, they are simply deferring when the funding is being provided to school districts. It's absolutely a debt and it's absolutely owed to schools. So when we talk about the lesser of two evils uh, with a cut versus a deferral, uh, deferral will always be the preferred choice because it's not reducing the amount that schools will ultimately receive. It's just postponing the timing of when those funds are received. I was wondering, Matt, if you happen to have a handy analogy in terms of helping people relate to this concept even more, maybe something that they deal with in their daily lives. Well, I, I hope that folks don't have to deal with this in, in their daily lives. <laughs> Otherwise, right. they, might need, they might need to find a new employer. Um, <laughs> True. But, you know, uh, an example, um, not that I am aware of any examples such as this, uh, but let's assume, and we'll use simple math again. Uh, that you work for a company and and you make $12,000 annually and you're paid monthly. And so you receive your paycheck every month of $1,000. And your employer comes to you and says, "Um, I'm having some difficulty uh, with the business. Things are slow right now. Uh, I don't want to cut your pay. I want to keep you as an employee. I value you as an employee, but I just don't have the cash right now to pay you. So what I'm going to do is instead of paying you in October, November, and December, So three of the 12 months, I'm going to push those payments out into the next year. Now, you may look at it on one hand and say, well, 
I didn't take a cut in my pay. But on the other hand, you have monthly recurring payments and obligations that you are responsible for, whether it be a, a rent or a mortgage, a car payment, uh, credit card bills, groceries, utilities, and the list goes on and on. And as a consumer, you don't necessarily have that same ability to go to your debtors and say, hey, my employer has deferred payment to me. Can I defer my own payments to you? Um, you're probably not going to get the same warm, cordial response with those vendors. So that's where the challenge is for school districts. Um, as the money is being pushed out, uh, school districts have a responsibility to pay their employees. And the dollar figures are obviously much more significant than the $1,000 example that I'm using right now. But because these cash deferrals represent such a significant amount of cash that districts would otherwise receive, um, when districts look at how they spend those dollars, uh, generally speaking, about 85% goes to people. Well, we're not going to go to our people who are, are integral to the services that we provide to our students and say, well, because the state has deferred or postponed payment to us, we need to postpone your paychecks commensurate with the state payments. That, that is not going to fly in any way, shape, or form. So while deferrals are always preferential to cuts, Deferrals do not come without their own set of headaches. Thank you for that example. That's, a, a, I think, a great example. And from the school district perspective, though, so if we're now not receiving those dollars for, say, the last three months, but we still have all the same expenses, how do we as a school district get through that? What are our options? So as a school district, um, at School Services of California, we talk a lot about fiscal stability. And within the notion of fiscal stability, there's a three-word phrase that we use, and that is cash is king. There's a lot of focus in school districts about budgets and balanced budgets and uh, our, our revenues greater than expenses, and, and that's all fine and dandy. But in this instance, where we talk about cash deferrals, your revenues can still be greater than your expenses, but if, if you're not collecting any cash for those revenues, you're gonna have a cash problem. And so that's where we go back to cash is king. And so for a school district to really address this, this cash deferral issue, it's, it's no longer about looking at its budget, right? It's about looking at what its cash position is in each month of the year. And one of the things that school districts are required to do and provide to their county offices of education at certain points during the year is a uh, cash flow summary where the district essentially maps out, here's when we think we're going to receive all of our cash. Here's how much cash we think we're going to spend each month. And it gives a, an estimate um, of where they believe they're going to end each month in cash. And once you layer on these deferrals, so if we use uh, the governor's proposal right now, we're April, May, and June, of 2021, it looks like we're going to receive little to no cash from the state of California. Those are months as a, a school district that I would look very closely at to say, what is our cash position in those three months, assuming that we're not going to get anything from the state of California? For a school district to weather the storm, that's where we talk about reserves at School Services of California. So cash is king. Um, in the absence of a steady inflow of cash, we need to go into our reserves. Uh, they get us through budget difficulties. Reserves also get us through cash difficulties. An analogy for um, our, our person at home, uh, using our example of the person that makes $12,000 a year, uh, if their employer 
defers those three months of payment, right? That's $3,000 in cash that they don't have that they would otherwise need or expect to be receiving. If the person has $3,000 in their savings account, then they can use the money in the savings account to get them through that period where the cash is not being received. And then once it's received, they replenish their savings account. So it's very similar with school districts. Mm-hmm. When the cash is not coming in, they need to look to their own savings account. Um, and they do that uh, in large part by preparing that cash flow summary to say, do we have enough cash on hand to make it through these, uh, you know, quote unquote, dry months where we're really not seeing any cash come in the door? And if a school district finds that it doesn't have enough cash in reserves, can a school district borrow the money? They can absolutely borrow the money. There, there's a, a few mechanisms in law that allow school districts to borrow money. So uh, there's three that, that I can think of off the top of my head that, that we see as the most common ways of borrowing money. The first is that it can borrow from itself. Most school districts, when they look at their cash position, uh, they're looking at their general operation account. So for the common consumer, that would be your checking account, right? Uh, How much do I have in my checking account? If my checking account goes negative, well, I need to pull some from my savings account. So a school district similarly looks at their operations account, which is their general fund. And if that general fund ends up um, not having sufficient cash to pay the bills, a school district can look to some of its other funds that it's required to maintain under law. And there's provisions in law that um, within certain parameters, school districts can borrow cash from those other funds. Now, generally, those funds cannot be used to finance day-to-day operations. So the borrowing has to be temporary and it has to be short-term. And there are some rules around uh, that borrowing. Now, that's going to be the lowest cost option to a school district because it's borrowing from itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's going to have to repay those funds uh, with interest, but it's essentially repaying itself. So while the, the interest may be a, a quote-unquote cost, it's just being deposited into another fund. The second option is borrowing from uh, the county office. Now, the county office is going to charge an interest rate. It's going to be a reasonable interest rate, but there will be an interest rate nonetheless um, that's affixed to the the principal that is borrowed to help the school district get through its its short-term cash issue. But the difference from the first option where the district is repaying interest to itself uh, under the second option, the interest is going to the county office. So once you pay the interest, it's it's gone. Um, so that's going to be a, a higher cost version of borrowing. The third option is the school district goes to the, the outside market, right? the bond market, and they use a, a mechanism known as a tax revenue anticipation note uh, in the school finance world, also known as a TRAN. This is a short-term borrowing option, generally one year where it actually goes out, there's an underwriter, the money is raised through the capital market. Uh, So you have investors who are saying, hey, I'll buy some of that because I'm going to be guaranteed the interest rate, whatever they're able to sell that paper at, um, I'm going to be guaranteed that interest rate as an investor. So it's an investment tool uh, for the, the common public, but it's a third option that allows school districts to raise funds to get through uh, short-term cash crunches, um, such as those caused by cash deferrals. Thank you for walking through that. What are the most significant uh, risks for school districts with deferrals? When I think about the risk with deferrals, um, the, the number one risk that jumps into my head is that 
the school district is not going to be able to access any of those three options. So if a school district doesn't have any other funds or doesn't have any dollars in those other funds, then option one is off the table. Two and three, uh, the options that I talked about are somewhat related in this response in so much that if every school district in the state of California, for all intents and purposes, is feeling a cash crunch, not all of them will, but the majority of them will if, if the legislature's budget goes through, is there going to be sufficient capital from either county offices or sufficient appetite from the market to lend the amount of cash that's going to be needed to help school districts get through the cash crunch? Now, if we overlay this against the Great Recession back in 09, 10, 10, 11, where there was a significant amount of borrowing that school districts had to take on, many of them went to the outside market through the TRAN option. The big difference between now and then is, let's assume uh, back in, for, for an apples and apples comparison, let's assume in 2011, the state deferred three months of cash, right? So April, May, and June. If we compare that with the same three-month period now, the real dollar amount that's being deferred now is going to be about 50% greater than it was then, just by virtue of the amount of money that the state is investing in schools. Mm. So even if we're looking at the same three-month period, the real dollars that districts will need to borrow now is going to be significantly greater than the dollars that were needed to be borrowed back in 10, 11, 11, 12, if we're looking at the same three-month period. So while the mechanism and the approach may be the same from the legislative perspective, the impact to school districts will be more significant now than it was uh, during the Great Recession. Mm. And, you know, somebody asked me a question about this this morning that I promised I would convey to you, <laughs> which is what given that school districts who are also required to balance their budgets have to address this typically by borrowing money, why can't the state borrow money in the first place so they wouldn't have to defer? I don't have a good answer to that, Paul. You okay. you have it's stumped a trick me. Question. <laughs> you have stumped me with that question. All right. Well, we'll we'll investigate that. If, if any state legal scholars are listening, maybe they'll help us look into that. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> so, um, Matt, you have once again helped us take the complex and and made it understandable f- for our listeners. I was wondering if there's anything else related to the cash deferrals and the budget that that you wanted to share? Sure. And and I would go back to this notion that everyone understands a cut, right? A cut is a cut. And it's something that most of us have experienced in our life in, in some form or fashion at one time or another. The deferral is less understood because, uh, as the average person, we don't, we're not impacted by deferrals. Our employers do not defer our pay. So when people hear the word deferral, they ask the first question, well, is that a cut? And the answer is no. And many times the conversation stops there. While it's always the lesser of two evils, a cash deferral does come with its own headaches. And so, uh, again, it it is the preferred option, but I I do want folks to recognize that uh, cash deferrals do not come without their own uh, set of considerations to take into account. Okay, one final question. At the end of the day, 
when the state budget agreement is finally reached, and if it leans toward the budget that the legislature approved, when and if state leaders start claiming it's a budget that has no cuts to schools, even though it does contain probably billions of dollars in deferrals, will it be a fair characterization for them to say it does not cut education? Yeah, it depends how uh, finally you want to parse the word cuts. Is there a reduction in revenues that are promised to schools? No, there's no cuts. Are schools receiving less cash in the current year than they would otherwise be receiving? The answer is yes. And so it puts the onus on school districts, a thousand school districts across the state of California, to really analyze their cash position, because again, cash is king, and ensure that during the months that are, are ultimately deferred as part of that budget, that they have sufficient cash to cover that shortfall that the state is using to balance its budget. Well, that's where we'll leave things for now. We hope this has helped you to better understand the ins and outs of the infamous state budget deferral. A very special thanks to Matt Phillips from School Services of California for making the time to talk with us during an especially intense and busy time of year. Matt, we appreciate you. And many thanks to you for listening to our series. Adventures in Ed Funding is presented by CASBO, the California Association of School Business Officials. For the latest state budget news and more, be sure to visit casbo.org. You can also share your suggestions for this podcast by emailing us at edfundingca at gmail.com. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. My name is Paul Richmond, and I'm your faithful series guide. The one and only Tommy Dunbar handles all of our sound, editing, and music, including these coronavirus budget blues that we're still, unfortunately, living with. Until next time, unlike the state, don't put off until next budget year what you can do this year. Tommy, play us out.